0: I'm Sarah Lippmann. Welcome to Torati Mecha Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today we will be learning Divrei Hayamim, Chronicles, Volume 1, Chapter 18. Many of the principles in today's class are based on the teachings of Rav Moshe Eisman of Baltimore in his magnificent commentary in the Artscroll school Divrei Hayamim and in his many recorded classes for which I am deeply grateful. All errors and misunderstandings are my own. In Chapter 17, Nassim the prophet came with a message from God to David HaMelech, denying David the right to build the Holy Temple. What could have been the crowning glory of his life was now beyond David's reach. And David has to redefine his life now in terms other than those which he had once anticipated. Have you ever had to drop a plan or a dream you've worked for? It's a tremendous shock. At some level, it's an existential loss. And what Hashem conveyed next in Nasan's second half of his prophetic message was to reveal to David his true destiny. Ve'ata kosomar la'avdi David, now say to my servant David. So even as David was told what he may not do, God also reassured him that he did have a role to play. David may not be able to serve Hashem precisely as he envisioned, but Hashem considers him a faithful servant which is high praise indeed. I call your attention to this because it can happen to any of us. We can be directed by failure or the demands of our values in life to let go of a project. That can be extremely hard. But that very redirection also opens us up to what we're really meant to be doing and where our greatest fulfillment actually may lie. And of course, David's reaction, which was to compose a lengthy prayer of gratitude to God for kindness and the essence of Imuna, using what he knows from past experience to inform and frame his feelings and choices in the moment. And so here, in chapter 18, David heads out to establish the peace and security for the land that will enable Shlomo to build the Hamikdash, the holy temple. You'll remember, David thought that his battles so far had already achieved the peace required to activate the mitzvah of building the temple. And yet, the prophet Nassan informed him otherwise. There was still much to be done. Until now, David had only responded to actual incursions or invasions into the land. Success in those battles looked like enemy retreat. When they finally ran away, the fight was over. David thought that when no one was attacking Israel— they were at peace with her. But this was not so. David now undertakes a series of wars with the goal of subduing the nations around him, entering their territory, putting them under Jewish control. Rabbi Shamshan Rafael hirsch in his commentary on Shmo's chapter 34, explains that, like David, our entire nation strives to live with full and constant consciousness of God and of the Torah in our lives, We cannot live side by side with paganism as though it were some alternative belief or equally valid lifestyle truth. Thus the Torah commands all traces of Avodah Zarah, of pagan idol worship, be removed from our land entirely. This is why, says Ramban, before any war we first extend an offer of peace. Whosoever wishes to make peace should come and make peace. Whosoever wants to leave, let them get up and go. And whosoever wants to fight come and fight. The non Jewish inhabitants of the land are allowed to remain, on condition that they give up idolatry, and commit to accept the seven Noahide laws. And thus, in verse one, it was after this, Vahihahrechin, Vayach David es plishtim that David smote the Plishtim and he subdued them. He had already pushed back two Plishti attempts at invasion. This time he invaded their territory, and he subdued them. It wasn't only about physical security. It was as much about spiritual security, living in a land where Avodah is not tolerated anywhere or by anyone. Verse 1 tells us that David attacked and subdued the Plishtim. Verse 2, that he attacked Moab and made them subject to paying tribute. Verses 3-8 through eight tell us that David attacked Hadad Ezer, king of Aram Sova. He conquered not only Aram Tzovah, but also Aram Damasek, installing regional governors. And thus Aram, to be called Syria, became a tribute-paying subject of David. Vayoshah Hashem is David, And God gave victory to David wherever he went. Verse 13, And then David placed governors in Edom, and all Edom became servants to David. And Hashem gave victory to David wherever he went. We learned in chapter 14 that there is a constant and opposing balance between the fortunes of Edom and Yisrael. From the time of Yaakov's blessings, the two of them never rose or fell together, but always one would be ascendant and the other subservient to him. We also learned in chapter 1 that all the kings and tribal warlords of Edom, son of Esav, reigned before David ruled in Israel. And here, in verse 13, we see that David conquered Edom, installing governors— but there was no king to rule them. The run, Rav Nisim of Gerona, the great 13th century scholar, follows this reality across history. This continued through the reign of Yehoshaphat many generations later, as we read in the Book of Malachim, Volume 1, Chapter 22. In his days there was no king in Edom. A governor was in place of a king all the way until King Yoram, who sinned and learned from Ahav, and in his days, Edom rebelled from under the hands of Yehuda and appointed a king over themselves. Until the Second Temple Era, when again, Edom was subject to Yisrael. So from all this we see, says the Run, that as long as God allowed us to flourish, Edom was subject to us. But when we were driven out of our city, Edom became ever more powerful. Our sages have taught that we are currently in an Edomite exile, for although Rome took us captive, many of their emperors and much of their population was Edomite. Thus, concludes Rav Moshe Eisman, the spiritual ascendancy of Israel that is implied in David's decisive victory over Edom means everything. Verses 15, 16, and 17, Yoav, the son of Zeruiah, commanded the army, and Yehoshaphat, son of Achilud, was the secretary or the chronicler. And Sadok, son of Achituv, and Avimelech, son of Evyasar, were Kohanim, and Shavsha was the scribe. And B'nai Yahu ben Yehoyada was in charge of the Kresi u plesi, and David's sons were first by his side. We remember Binayahu ben Yehoyada and his heroic military and scholarly feats from chapter 11. But what are the Kresi and Plesi? The Vilna Gaon in the Book of Shmuel quotes the Targum's translation, bows and slings. In other words, those who are experts as artillerymen. Rashi in the Book of Shmuel cites our sages who equate the Kresi Uplesi with the Urim Vitumim. They have a similar ring to them, which lie within the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. Benayahu was the head of the Sanhedrin, the high court. He was responsible for deciding which questions should be posed to the Urim Vitumim, to the breastplate, how to phrase the questions, how to interpret the responses. In all, a picture is painted of a holy army. There is no secular in David's kingdom. Every part of his work is avodas Hashem, in service of God. It is nikdash Lashem, dedicated to God. And those who assisted him, worked at his side, we're working in Avodah HaKodesh, holy work. And thus we find generals alongside of scholars, alongside of priests. Verses 7 and 8 capture the unique nature of David's battles, where practical and spiritual work hand in hand. Quote, And David took the gold shields carried by the servants of Hadarezer, and he brought them to Jerusalem. And David captured huge quantities of copper. From these, Shlomo made the copper sea, the copper pool, the pillars, and the copper vessels of the temple. Rav Hirsch, in his commentary on Beresh's chapter 1, says that acquisition of property is a prerequisite for the tasks of home and society. Property serves as an instrument, a tafel, with which home and society can achieve their aims. Thus, the acquisition of property can become a moral duty. But there is no moral value to property unless it is devoted to home and society— It is a person's duty to acquire material assets in order to build their home or to further their society. A person should not build a home and support a society in order to increase their assets or their wealth. That would be a reversal. And thus David seeks to acquire wealth for the purpose of supporting his holy work, not the other way around. Verse fourteen David Yisrael Vahi Ose Mishpat lecholamo. David ruled over all of Israel and he did justice and charity for all of his nation. Avostarabi Nasan teaches Mishpat Utsdaka, justice and charity. When David judged cases, he ruled with Mishpat, justice, even if it meant ruling that a poor man owed money to a far richer one. David ruled according to the law. But then he would take money from his own pocket and give it to the poor man, tzedakah charity, so that he could pay his debt. This is a beautiful testimony to David as a king. But why here? Why in the middle of discussing his military conquests do we read about his goodness and justice in internal state matters? Says the Chida'an <laughs> Choma it was because David ruled his people wisely and righteously, with justice, fairness, and tzedakah, charity, l'cholamo, for each and every person equally, without bias or preference. It was because of this that David merited God's strength and support in his wars abroad. Verse 6 said, "Va'yoshah Hashem le David halach. Hashem gave victory to David wherever he went. And again in verse 13, almost the same phrasing, has David This emphasis on God saving David might be better appreciated in light of a verse in Zechariah chapter 9 cited by Rav Hirsch in his commentary on Berachiah. Gilim Meod bas Zion, rejoice greatly daughter of Zion. Hari basu shout with joy daughter of Jerusalem. Hine Malkeh yavo lach. Behold your king is coming to you, tzaddik v'nosha hu. He is a tzaddik, he is a righteous person, v'nosha hu, and one who is saved is he. Not one who saves us, emoshia, but nosha, one who is saved by God, saved because he is a tzaddik. Our king is righteous and Hashem helps him to victory in the merit of that righteousness. We look forward to the day when the sun will rise on an Israel ruled by a king who is Tzadik Venoshahu. Thank you for learning together with me. Le'ilui Nishmas Rose Foreman, Razel Rahul Bas Leib, and Rachel Zeitlin.